Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Dempko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. As we record this episode, some of the first turkey seasons in the nation are just about to start. Florida, Alabama later this month. Um, very excited. We have um, two members of the National Wild Turkey Federation staff here. I'm joined by Director of Conservation Services, Mark Hatfield. Mark, hello. How's it going? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we also have um, Director of Communications, Peter Mueller. Hi, Peter. How are you? Doing well and happy to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and you both live in South Carolina. Uh, we're still cold up here in Pennsylvania, but I'm imagining spring's uh, approaching down there. Gobbler season's coming up probably in the near future. I think it was 80 degrees today, um, but it's it's definitely <laughs> feeling like spring. And, you know, those those days of sitting uh, sitting out there in the turkey woods aren't that far away. That's for sure. We have an eight in our temperature. It's 38 today. So a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> and our season doesn't come into May. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we want to do a bit of an overview Turkey season coming up, and obviously turkey season's open at different times uh, across the country, with some of them opening this month. And then some of your states, like New York and Pennsylvania, don't open until the beginning of May, as you know. But uh, we'll take a look at the population across the country as a whole and uh, get your thoughts. And then we're going to talk a little bit about bow hunting for turkeys. So um, thank you. You know, I think one of the things you 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 hear a lot about in certain parts of the country, at least, is the turkey populations are changing. That's the case with all wildlife species. But uh, in some areas of the, the country, you've seen the turkey numbers decline or slowly uh, drop back over the years, habitat changes and things like that. When you look at the turkeys, and obviously we know there's different uh, species, um, how do you think turkeys are doing in our nation right now as a whole? Yeah, so that's a great question because it's really on the tip of everybody's mind. You know, when you think about wild turkeys, you know, I think everybody says, oh, they're declining, you know, and, and we don't have as many turkeys. And, and I'd say the overall health of the population has has declined really over the past, you know, 15 years. And and but conversely, we see areas where they're maybe overabundant or overpopulated where we moved into their you know habitat and through development. And then we've got areas and parts of the country where they weren't as robust as where they're where they have been. So really, the health is diminished. And that could be defined as overabundant issues or, you know, less less birds on the landscape in certain parts of the country. So it's definitely declined. You know, we've seen the population decline 10 to 15 percent since the high water mark in 2004. Uh, we're still have a lot of turkeys on the landscape, you know, over six million. But is the population as healthy as it once was? Probably not. Well, thank you for that. And, and obviously, as, as you touched on, there's going to be areas where the population is doing really well. Um, there's going to be areas where maybe it's uh, challenged a bit, um, you know, and obviously it's going to depend from state to state and even county to county within the state. You know, for example, I'll say where I live here in southeastern Pennsylvania in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, after the turkey reintroductions, they were everywhere. And then they've dropped back over time. And um, even just as much as a few years ago, I see flocks of uh, 30, 30 birds. And now you'll see a couple in the spring and things like that. There's still birds here. But obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into the uh, changing turkey populations and dynamics. Uh, Mark, can you talk a little bit about that? It's, 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 it's obviously not one size fits all, but there's some key components that affect uh, turkey reproduction in the populations, aren't there? Yeah, there are. You know, I think one of the biggest factors that unfortunately we have no control over is weather. 
you know, weather and weather patterns really influence wild turkey populations really probably to the greatest degree of anything else. Because if we don't have the timing of spring weather, if you don't have the appropriate rainfall, especially when you get in more arid areas and, you know, the Great Plains and others, you don't get your insect abundance. And then in the east, if you get wet springs and cool wet springs, you know, they have a, a negative impact on birds. So really the number one factor that unfortunately we can't control as managers or biologists is our weather is the across the countries. Now, habitat plays into that. You want to have, you know, good, you know, available habitat across the landscapes and across, you know, your hunting property. You want a good distribution of your nesting and brooding habitat, which is really what we're lacking across pretty much the, the eastern half of the U.S. We don't have that early successional, which is grasses, forbs, you know, the flowering, you know, plants, all that stuff is not in the landscape as it once was and equally distributed. So that's really a negative. Uh, and then you get into these other issues of, you know, suburban turkeys and you get into areas where you do have, you know, poor quality habitat makes them more susceptible to predation. You know, turkeys are really meant to be eaten. And so we have to recognize that. But, you know, the low reproduction is primarily influenced by weather. You know, in, in touching on that, obviously, a uh, hot topic right now is, is uh, you know, climate change. Uh, when you look at trends, have you seen the um, spring storms, rain, has it gotten worse in recent years, maybe? Or, you know, uh, obviously, we talk a lot about how the, the planet's warming and things like that, and it causes more shifts in storms. I don't know if you have any data that supports that, but I was wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, that's a good question. You know, as an NWT, as the NWTF, we're actually engaged a lot in conversations around climate ad adaptation and climate resiliency. So a lot of our work focuses on native ecosystems and making sure that that is susceptible and has some rigidity around the fluctuations and changes in climate. We know the climate's changing. You know, we won't get in the debate of what's the cause of it. But yeah, I mean, the the cooler and the higher fluctuations in temperatures and, and the more instability we have in the system of weather uh, does and could impact, you know, local rain events and, and you know, how hard it rains. Especially in the West, you can get into maybe even these catastrophic wildfires that are from the dry heat. You know, so weather does and climate change can impact them to what degree we're not exactly sure. But the one thing we're trying to do is make sure that we're focusing on native ecosystems to make sure that they're as resilient to climate change as possible. Um, real, real quick, I was going to ask you, um, obviously, I know that the the wild turkey symposiums coming up in June. Are there any things that you guys are going to be covering during that time that do dive a little bit into studies around uh, weather or patterns, things of that nature? Yeah. So Pete mentioned the, we have the 12th wild turkey symposium coming up in uh, June of this year. And this is the, it occurs on about every five year interval. And we've got about 30 papers that have been invited to uh, submit publications into this. And a lot of that's looking at is, scale and really how to we monitor populations on a greater scale, even across state lines. And a lot of states are really standardizing how they're doing that. So that's going to give us a better uh, ability to really track the weather patterns because now we're standardizing how we collect our data, what data we're collecting, and then we can compare that against weather. So there are some of those conversations occurring, but just standardizing that data is going to give us that ability to tease out is climate at 
climate change or, you know, weather patterns, you know, what influence that is on the landscape. Thank you for that, bringing that up. And I'm assuming that data is going to be shared among all the involved parties. Yeah, it will. So what we have, we have, you know, probably 150 to 200 researchers, state wildlife agencies there, members of the NWTF technical committee. Uh, we have our communication staff covering it. And honestly, we're hopefully going to be distilling some of that down into more popular articles for Turkey Call. So that's going to be the opportunity for us to share that information out on a broader scale and probably in a more aggressive manner than what we've done in the past. Thank you. And, you know, uh, as we're talking about turkey populations, and we're going to turn this around in a second, but the, the last question I had in regards to the population drop, are there any areas of the country, uh, whether it's the Easterns or others, uh, that you're concerned as far as the decline in bird numbers? Are there any, like, where you have any real concerns? Well, you know, I think um, as a turkey hunter first and then a biologist second, you know, I think we all want more turkeys on the landscape, especially if they're accessible to hunt. And so the Southeast has probably been the, the hotbed for where we've seen the declines. Um, but so I think, the, you know, if we're looking at our declines and, and just raw numbers, you know, the Southeast has probably taken the brunt of the, you know, loss of birds, you know, so that's probably one. But again, you know, we still have a lot of birds in the landscape, but we're not hearing as many birds. We're not seeing as many birds. And that'll start to erode hunt quality for individuals and may, you know, become like, well, if I'm not going to hear that many birds, you know, I'm not going to go out and hunt. So there's that social dynamic as well. So Southeast Missouri is a, a hot fed right now. I mean, they used to be traditionally one of the stronger states in the country and they're having a lot of low reproduction going on. So they're investing and we're supporting some of their research there to figure out some of that. So Southeast Missouri, um, you know, Texas, we're actually doing an active restoration right now. We actually have released 56 birds that were donated by Maine to Texas. And so we're actually doing an active restoration in East Texas now for Eastern wild turkey. So that area for sure. Uh, and then the other ones are just trying to figure out exactly what's going on um, and figuring out where it's going to plateau at. Uh, let's flip that around a little bit. Uh, we, we touched on this in the beginning. There's obviously areas where we're, bird populations are growing. What are some of the bright spots in the country where you've seen uh, strong growth or maybe you've seen turkeys where you haven't seen them before? Has anything come to mind to either of you? You know, I'll kick this to Pete if he's heard anything from his network and, and some of that. And I've got some ideas to share as well. But Pete, I'll kick that over to you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for, first and foremost, I'd, I'd say uh, there's, there's places like the Northeast or even the Pacific Northwest where populations just seem to be doing very, very well. And um, we actually have an active campaign right now uh, kicked off at convention, but it's called Help the Yelp. And, you know, what we're talking about there is obviously, again, that that overall decline in the populations, but also talking about the overall health in the populations and how some of those areas, whether it be that those western states or the northeast, they're, they're doing well there, but there's still more that can be done. So um, I, I think that that's it's more of just a renewed or a or a more heightened focus on the work that the NWTF has always done, which is you know been focused on research and conservation of wild turkey. Um, but it's it's a much more forward facing, much more vocal campaign, speaking directly to those people that are the turkey hunters, saying, "Hey, we're we're right here with you on trying to help get to the bottom of what's going on." But I, I'd say those are two places where I had conversations with people at convention, and they said, you know. Hey, I understand birds may not be doing as great down here, you guys in the southeast, but man, we've got birds everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. So, 
that's kind of what I've yeah. Heard. No, I, I would echo that. You know, the one thing I would add is that we actually have some bright spots even um, in the southeast. You know, with if uh, I, I define Kentucky as the southeast, that's where I grew up. But they had a great reproduction two years ago, and and so they had a really good season last year, and they expect to have a good season this year because you get a lot of recruitment into these young birds, uh, gobbling activities, like having a bunch of you know teenagers out running around. Indiana's had a great reproduction year last year. So next year, Indiana should be doing really well. So, so those are some things that, you know, I think are really the bright spots. You know, when you get out West, you know, the Gould wild turkey is doing really well. New Mexico and Arizona are actually looking to liberalize their seasons, even though it's a small population, it's very stable and growing. And then, you know, Pete, you mentioned the, the PAC Northwest, Oregon, Washington, those states are hotbeds for, you know, turkeys. And so, if you're trying to go out and want to travel somewhere, that's that's definitely a hot spot. Um, so there's some good information out there. And, and I've mentioned recruitment a couple of times. Yeah. And if we think about it, a hen turkey has 12 eggs. If she can recruit two of those folks to become an adult, she's doing the population remains stable. If she gets above two, if she gets to three birds that she can raise to maturity, and and as a part of the population, the population grows. But if it drops below two, the populations are in a downward trend. So when you think about it, they should only be really recruiting two birds out of every hatch on average to have a stable population. So once you get to three or even four, man, those populations really explode. So that's that's how you know thin of a margin we have on this recruitment effort for wild turkeys. Mark, I know last year brood X for cicadas was a huge topic that everybody was talking about. Uh, how much did that impact that, like that entire region with those? Yeah. So the cicada hatches, you know, we, we normally see a bump in, in turkey production, uh, you know, during that time because when hens are preparing for egg, laying and right after those, you know, after the eggs are hatched, you've got poles on the ground, they need protein and they need bugs and cicadas are that source. So, when you have a ready food source, the cicadas have the same, although it's a different cycle, but it's the same mechanism because they want to flood the, the habitat with as many of them as they can so the few can survive. You know, and so turkeys are the same way. So when you've got a high availability of food source, high protein, that really can cover some poor habitat. Because you, because, but if you've got really good habitat and you've already had that in insect abundance, it's not as, as important. But we do normally see a bump in turkey production and, and uh, recruitment, you know, post cicada hatch. That's fascinating. Thank, thank you for, for mentioning that. Uh, um, when, when you think about uh, the turkeys and population, we talked about climate, we talked about habitat. Is predation uh, a major concern? It's you know from you know foxes, coyotes, or is that just something they've always had to deal with? So it's always been factored into the equation. Well, you know, turkeys, like like I mentioned earlier, turkeys are meant to be eaten. They are a prey species, and so what we have to do is produce more turkeys than the predators can can eat. And so yes, predation occurs. Uh, predation can become an issue if the habitat is not very healthy. Um, but you know, coyotes are not very good turkey killers. 
you know, foxes aren't very good turkey killers. They oftentimes will stumble upon nests and they don't, they're not efficient. You know, if you get a, a, you know, when you rabbit hunt, you know, or dogs are just not great, you know, at trying to track something down and, and to have that search. That's why you want that equal distribution of nesting habitat across your entire property, because then it doesn't concentrate any predation or any predators into one certain area that they can search that area more effectively or more efficiently. Um, the number one predation predator for wild turkey nests are raccoons. Uh, you get these meso predators such as possums, skunks, raccoons that are stumbling upon nests. Um, and, you know, that's going to occur, but turkeys, turkeys on average have evolved with predation. But if you have poor quality habitat and then you have an influx of predators, they can exploit that for a while, then it does stabilize. Now, uh, Peter, you mentioned the uh, the awareness campaign uh, that you're doing to focus on some of the programs and stuff, but let's let's jump into that a little more. What are some of the big programs you're working on now, maybe to uh, benefit turkeys in some of these areas we talked about, or um, turkey hunters? I'm sure there's some things you're really focusing on working with uh, various state agencies and things like that. Can you share a couple? Yeah, so a couple of those is, one is we're really foundational to the the state wildlife agencies, you know, they're, they're a big piece of us. They, we have a technical committee that's comprised of uh, either one or two representatives from the state wildlife agencies that I sit on and chair a committee with them. So we talk three to four times a year as a, as a unit. And so that's, uh, we talk about harvest regulations, management issues, disease, you know, and we have this network back and forth. So that's one thing that we stay connected with. The other is we're trying to increase our scale and our efficiency and our habitat delivery. We're engaged with the White Oak Initiative um, that's focusing on the uh, management and and really the reestablishment and, and healthy white oak systems. And I think, you know, being a bow hunter, you know, you're wanting those white oak acorns and they're really equally as important to turkeys as they are deer. Uh, in the Southeast, we're working with longleaf pine and shortleaf pine initiatives uh, on wiregrass communities and open understory so we can burn on a more frequent basis. So. And what we do is we try to gear that our local efforts through our state super funds, uh, which are revenue sharing funding that the state manages and directs that into our mission. Those activities connect to these larger regional initiatives and then to these larger national initiatives. So, you know, over the past really three years, we've averaged about 600,000 acres of habitat uh, being conserved or enhanced. And so that's a and really our history has been well over 20 million acres conserved or enhanced. And that's, you know, you mentioned South Carolina earlier. That's South Carolina is 19 million acres. Well, we've been able through our history to really conserve or enhance over 20 million acres, which is in excess of South Carolina. And, and with this work you're doing in conjunction uh, with your chapters, with the state agencies and things like that, uh, have you seen any positive signs or areas where you can point to and say, hey, the work we're doing is really having a, strong positive impact that's what i mean oh yeah i mean it's um you know when we think about you know we're we were talking to east here a lot but when we think about some of the stuff we're doing in the west you know with wildfire mitigation forestry management you know water conservation we're finding unique ways to impact wild turkey populations by really trying to treat things at the foundational level and so the rocky mountain restoration initiative in colorado we've been able to impact thirty thousand acres in the first year that um, through partnerships and with the Forest Service, and we're trying to take that into different states. So it's garnering a lot of momentum. Um, 
every little bit counts, but we want to make sure that that's leveraged to the greatest of our ability. Now, not only from the money side of things, but on the biological side of things. Thank you. Now, obviously, we're all hunters here and uh, spring seasons are coming up. So let's shift into some uh, turkey hunting talk. Uh, where are your travels taking? We'll start with you, Mark. Where are the travels taking you this spring to do some hunting when you have time? Yeah, so I'll be here in South Carolina. Um, our season starts here about the last week of March. It goes up until the first week of May. It's a pretty long season, so I'll try to take advantage of that. My hope is to get back home to Kentucky um, and hunt with some family members and, and take my little boy up there to see if we can get him his first bird. Um, we've got a family farm up there that we try to hunt on as well. So hopefully either South Carolina, South Carolina and Kentucky, and then I may be heading out to Wyoming as well. Yeah, now you said your your little boy, your son. How old? Yeah, he is. Uh, he'll be ten March twenty ninth. Has so he been on the list before? Yeah, we hunted for a couple of days last year, and so he's going to get to go out and hunt this year. Uh, he's a little bit more excited about that. Um, he gets to be more of an active participant than he was in the past years, as far as just listening. So we're going to go home and see what we can do and uh, hunt with some my uncles and my cousins that really got me started in hunting in the first place. Thank you. Now, Peter, you're a, you're a big turkey hunter too, uh, including doing a, a good bit of bow hunting. Where are you going to be hunting this spring? Oh, uh, you know, I've got a couple places that I'm scheduled to travel. Most of the time, though, my travels, I don't do any hunting anymore. I'm either, uh, you know, helping to put together media camps or, you know, get together with riders or people from the industry um, and either trying to help people get their first bird. Um, but I do hope... Uh, I've been in South Carolina now about eight years and actually have only ever hunted maybe a total of 10 days. So if I can get out some here, here home this year, I, I actually am going to take my daughter. She's 11 and she's been itching to, to get her first trip out to the woods. We actually did youth day last year briefly, but uh, on public land, but didn't have much luck, but she's, she's rip roaring, ready to go. So that'll be fun. Well, I wish you luck with that. Um, you know, Absolutely. I got my daughter out when I could in archery uh, when she was younger. So uh, it's it's a wonderful time uh, when you can get out with your your children and introduce them to the sport that we all love. So, uh, you, know, you know, as I mentioned, you do bow hunt for for turkeys. I think you're you only have one bird species you need to get yet. Is that the Osceola or? Yeah, that's that's the last one. If I can bag an Osceola <laughs> at some point with a bow, then uh then I'll end up having the grand slam. I've got one grand slam with a shotgun. And like I said, I'm about three quarters of the way there with a bow right now. But, um, but it's, it's, I found it to be fun. There's, there's a subset of turkey hunters that fully believe like turkeys were only meant to be hunted with shotguns, but I, there's something about getting out there with a bow that, that I've just enjoyed over about the past decade. And so I enjoy chasing turkeys with stick and string. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned the, Shotgun hunters, bow hunters. When you first started bow hunting, what was the biggest shift or transition for you? What What was the number one thing you needed to do differently when you wanted to harvest a turkey with a bow? What comes to your mind? Patience, honestly. Um, you know, uh, I, I think the biggest thing that I realized when I first got started is, um, I, honestly, you're you're dealing with a bird that relies primarily on its its sight and its hearing. And it, it is like the keenest of all animals in the woods. I, I You hear people joke, like if they could smell, then you'd never, ever kill one. Um, but it, it just is that much tougher when you're you're in a situation where you're using something that even compound bows. I mean, you're you're really your your idea is to get them in a whole lot closer than you could even to that 40 yard mark. Like people 
kind of uses a, a guidance mark for shotgun hunting. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing that, that goes into that uh, movement, obviously, you know, you, you can probably get away with a little bit when you're a shotgun, if you're sitting on the ground or you're pretty well concealed, but you have a lot more movement when you're drawing that compound, especially if you have to move and it's not like a shotgun where you can couple a bit of a range. You've, you've got to be able to get that bird in position. Mm-hmm. shooting at a small vital area or, you know, depending where you're aiming and that bird's usually not, not always, but usually on the move. So it's, 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 you've got to have some good concealment. Do you typically hunt out of a blind or what do you do when you're bow hunting? So when I first started uh, bow hunting for turkeys, it was all out of a blind. Um, I got tired of lugging those things around. Um, I still will hunt out of them uh, occasionally when I take out friends and they're bow hunting. Uh, but for the most part, what I'm doing nowadays is I'm just trying to use uh, natural concealment, um, you know, the terrain, you know, limbs that are already on the ground, building somewhat natural blinds just to try to block things. And then then I do I do pack a, a decoy because obviously anything that you can do to take that focus off of, you know, outside movement and you can get that bird focused on a decoy, that really does help. Um, but, yeah, I, pretty much nowadays I'm running with a bow, decoy and a backpack. Have you asked yeah. one of the questions? Oh. Well, no, I was going to say, you know, you, you asked the question about what, what's the biggest change from a shotgun to that. It, and it, for me, it was trying to find those natural travel, the little funnels that you needed to get the birds to work into. So you could maximize the natural concealment or, you know, visual breaks and stuff is that, you know, shotgun, I wasn't too worried about that, you know, but as you start to get in and you start recognizing your movement, where's the bird coming from? You know, knowing the terrain to me is more important bow hunting than it is with the shotgun. Absolutely. And do you, when you put your decoys out, I'm assuming you both hunt with decoys, you need to think about how you position them any differently than maybe if you might do the setup for shotgun. For me, I'm pretty much just carrying around a, a single uh, Jake quarter strut decoy nowadays. Um, just from talking with some guys that have been longtime hunters, uh, guys that have been in the industry for a while, they, they say that that's honestly the, one of the most effective decoys that they have. Um, but that way I'm not worried about trying to string them out, you know, off the edge of a field or it's, I'm mainly just using that one, one bird. Uh, and again, I am bringing it in a lot closer. I'm probably positioning at, at, you know, max about 20 yards out, uh, mm. in, instead of potentially further distances like you could for shotgun. Yeah, now let's talk a little bit about your bow setup. What, what kind of bow are you shooting right now? Arrows, broadheads? All right. Um, so uh, I've got a couple bows. Like my deer bow is just my deer bow, but I've got a, I think it's an old Bowtech Rain um, that I've got cranked down. It was uh, originally came at 70 pounds, but I got it cranked down to about 60, and I'm using some gold tip uh, pro hunters. I want to say that they're 340s. Um, and then I, I've had fun testing out a variety of broadheads over the years. Uh, for turkeys and we we've had some fun with them over at, at uh, turkey federation um seeing how they cut through like oven roaster chicken so you, you ever see us in the spring we're carrying you know 12 or so chickens out of the grocery store and then we're blowing broadheads through them to see you know how well they're cutting bone and everything else but um and then i'm running i think it was the octane version of the tight spot quiver but just something that's that's easy to to hold up tight to the bow but also a quick release to drop on the ground and um but that, that's what I'm rolling with. And then a Frankenstein Trophy Ridge, uh, Trophy Ridge uh, uh, site. I've added a few extra pins in there. So you, you mentioned the broadheads and the test that you did. Um, 
what are your personal thoughts? What have you found over the years? Uh, you know, you prefer mechanicals, you prefer fixed blades. You've obviously done a lot of testing on broadheads working specifically for turkeys. All right. So I, I, I guess I kind of have a couple philosophies. It's um, if you're going to shoot for the head, uh, obviously you can use the guillotines. Um, but if you're going to body shoot uh, birds, I think that something that just has maximum cutting surface is best. And I, and I found good, good success using things like the rage Turkey. Um, actually uh, a guy that I met um, through ATA one year, his name was Marty Burke. He was uh, making some shrapnel broadheads. I don't even know if he still makes them anymore, um, but he had a fantastic mechanical um, dirt nap gear made a, a, I think it was called the shred head for turkeys, but just a wide fixed blade, but it had, it almost had like fanned out blades on it that, uh, that, that just did a lot of damage. And I, and I think for turkeys where you're shooting at something, if you are body shooting them, you're shooting at something that's about the size of your fist, you got to have something that first off is going to shoot, uh, pretty darn accurate. So you either have to make sure your bow is tuned really, really well for those fixed blades. Cause that's always the biggest complaint is it doesn't fly like field point. So it's either you got to get your bow fully tuned or you can kind of squeak by and shoot the mechanicals or shoot you know, more like your field point straight out of the gate uh, with, with less tuning. Um, but you get massive holes on those mechanicals if you can shoot something with like a two-inch, a two-inch, uh, with a two-inch cut. Yeah, and you mentioned as, as you started talking about it, you have one setup that you use obviously for deer, but you have a whole different rig setup that you use for turkeys. Uh, if somebody's interested in, in getting serious about bow hunting for turkeys, uh, most guys, they probably start deer hunting, or maybe elk hunting. But uh, what's your first bit of advice for somebody who wants to seriously try to take down a bird with a bow? Honestly, the biggest thing is practice. I mean, I, I did mention really quickly, but the let's, let's say on an elk, I mean, you're looking at a, a vital zone of, you know, 20 inches plus uh, on deer, 8 to 10 inches. On something like a turkey, again, you're shooting, if you're shooting for vitals, you know, you know, heart, lungs, things like that, you're looking at something that's about the size of your fist, maybe the size of a softball. And so that precision shooting um, from sitting, kneeling, leaning, you know, leaning backwards, you're going to practice in all those different fashions. And you want to be able to draw that bow back with the least amount of movement and strain as possible. So the, the most fluid motion that you can get. So, um, so I'd say, you know, get it to where you're, you're grouping, you know, just on dimes, and then, then start shooting from every single position that you can think of that you would ever potentially take a shot in the woods. Um, and, uh, and then, then you're on the right track. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's about the best thing that I can say, Mark, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, I, I would say that's pretty accurate. You know, one thing I, I do have a different setup between my bow and, and turkey or deer and turkey setups. Um, I go lighter weight for turkeys. Um, you know, just because you are going to be in precarious situations and, you know, turkeys aren't nearly as consistent as deer, deer aren't very consistent anyway, but, you know, they get hung up, they pause, they look around. So you, you can be kind of out and exposed if you've got a heavy draw weight and, you know, you're just not conditioned. I do fixed pin for turkeys. I do a single pin set up for deer. Uh, so just because you need that quick adjustment, you know, to know where your 10 and 20s are, and I'm, you know, we'll normally try to narrow mine up pretty quick, you know, to go, you know, 10, 15, 20. And I really, really limit myself any, anything past 20. I just, 
am very conservative on just so I don't want to have any crippling loss. So um, that's typically my setup. But again, conditioning is key. Shoot from all angles, shoot from odd situations, twist, turn, kneel down, you know, lay down, whatever it takes and, and learn how to shoot your bow as accurate, accurately as you can. I think the other important aspect to add to that is study as many diagrams as you can of where the vitals lie on a bird, depending on its posture. I mean, a, a bird that strutted up is very deceiving as to where the vitals actually are um, versus, you know, shooting a bird head on behind once he's standing up, you know, almost more alert. Um, but if you study those, um, then then I think that that gives you that that and you and you look for those specific points of where to shoot based on all the diagram and there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff out there online mm-hmm. but if you pay attention to those you study those and you and you shoot like crazy before season then I, I really think you just need to get out there in the woods and, you know try to apply it do you have a favorite way to turkey hunt when you're bow hunting like i mean obviously a lot of people set up on the edge of a field with the decoy and call with the do you run and gun do you have different methods you like to approach it depending on terrain the bird population and things like that you know, we we did um, buddies and I did run and gun out west where it was basically a bow and a decoy. I mean, we were on the running up and down the hills in the Black Hills um, for shooting, shooting some birds. When I was out in Oklahoma, we were set up on a field edge um, hunting in Missouri uh, one time. It, that was actually fall hunting, but we were we were running and gunning at that point, too. Uh, that was actually just kind of a weird, weird situation. But we. I've never flushed birds with a bow before, but running at them with a bow and then trying to bust the birds up and watching them, watching them actually not, not know what to do. That was an interesting situation, but we were able to to shoot some birds out of that group. Um, but I, I think it's just, you, you get out there just like you would with a shotgun and you, you see what the birds are doing and then you try to adapt. But if you put yourself in a position where you are going to be carrying blinds in and out, then you're definitely limiting your options. Um, that's why I think, just getting to the point of trying to use trees and 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 other debris that's out there in the woods and using that and not targeting you know if you see a giant flock of birds in a field the chance of being able to get in on them when you have countless other eyes on you i mean that that's one thing that you see a single bird in a field you might be able to do something with him but if you see an entire flock i'd i'd say if you're trying to hunt with a bow unless you do have a blind set up and you try to hit him the next day your chances are going to be very very unlikely of, of moving any of them close to you. So what's your best bow hunting Turkey story? What's your, what's your most memorable experience or what's that story where if you told somebody, they'd never believe you. It's probably that fall Turkey hunting story. And honestly, it was, uh, we had, we had seen a group of gobblers in the fall and wait, waited on the downhill side of some timber thinking that they were going to be working down that way and got tired. I think it was waiting, doing a little bit of light calling. Um, for about 45 minutes to an hour and finally got tired it was cold and so buddy and i decided to head up the hill and see if we could see him and about 80 yards out we spotted that group of gobblers so we just started running at them and they took off and then both he and i split up birds ended up actually circling back and then standing in a little tiny clearing running back and forth uh in a tree and they didn't know what to do so i walked in on them with an arrow knocking an arrow and was able to draw back and shoot one right there and it flop right there on the spot um but i had never seen birds that didn't just take off and and head on out of there before that that was uh 
that was absolutely surprising to me. Something that, that we almost stood at each other just looking like, what exactly just happened? This is not turkey behavior. <laughs> Yeah, I've so, never had that happen to me. Just like I, you know, people sort of <laughs> shoot at a deer a couple of times, and the deer just stands there. I'm like, I've never had that happen to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Deer don't. Deer and turkeys don't aren't supposed to act like that. That's for sure. Um, yeah, but well, you know, I had a, <clears throat> a biology professor going through school, and he said turkeys and deer and wildlife don't read textbooks of what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to act. So. They they always surprise you for sure, and 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 it's true, you know. Um, it's um, they're always different, you know. And I think that's one thing is I always try to change my approach based on what you're hearing for the day or what the weather's doing, or you know how big of a track you have to hunt, you know, especially in the east where you have maybe small tracks. You got to change your approaches there to not bust birds out of there. But turkeys and deer, they don't. They don't read textbooks to know what they're supposed to do. You just have to go out there, like Pete said, just to just apply and practice and see what you got. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you talk about wild animals, and that's half the fun. It's the challenge is with a bow is you've got to get them even closer and get sort of a perfect shot. So uh, there's a lot of challenge and a lot of fun that goes into archery hunting. Uh, last question I have for the two of you: If you could only ever hunt one place for turkeys ever again in the rest of your life, where's it going to be? yeah um i actually got my start in turkey hunting in general in the black hills in wyoming and there's just a a, you know maybe it's the scenery out there maybe it's those white tip fans maybe it's the more gobble happy birds but if i could only ever hunt one place i would head straight back to you know hewlett sundance newcastle back in those areas and i would chase birds there forever that that would be that would be all i would ever do yeah, so I'm gonna. So I've got two. One's a sentimental one. One's kind of the okay. kind of the type of hunt I want. The sentimental one would be go back to hunt on my where I started turkey hunting my grandfather's farm, you know, and to be able to go back and hunt with my uncle and cousin that we, um, you know, really cut our teeth in on turkey hunting in Kentucky. Um, the other one would probably be around Rapid City, South Dakota. You can go north, south, east, west around there and get into birds. Just, I like the open terrain, like Pete said, and and. Uh, you get to do some spot and stalk and you get to move around and, and you got big, big country to walk. So I enjoy that hunting, um, the most, uh, but for the sentimental value, I'd like to go back home and, you know, if I could only hunt one place, it'd be where I started hunting, you know, in New Haven, Kentucky. Well, thank you both for that. And, you know, uh, you get out this spring as you get out this spring, good luck. And, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the bow hunting podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. We appreciate you having us on. If anybody does want any more information about NWTF's Help the Yelp campaign, uh, it's uh, they can go to www.nwtf.org and start there. Yeah. And, you know, it's a great organization. Lots of great grassroots programs that you're doing through all your chapters and all the different states. Uh, I would say when you talk about all the different volunteer organizations, The members of the NWTF are probably the most passionate conservationists and volunteers as as a group as a whole. Absolutely incredible how dedicated they are, not just to the sport, but obviously to uh, habitat work, the birds and all wildlife. So uh, everybody getting out turkey hunting in the spring, good luck. Thank you again, gentlemen. And we'll see you all next time on the Bow Hunting Podcast. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. 
All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand. Or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.